We are currently studying verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. Mark emphasizes Jesus' role as the servant king who came to lay down his life so that we could be saved. We pray that these studies encourage and strengthen your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and work of Christ. We ask for your blessing as we always do. Lord, it's your God-breathed word. We want to have our eyes of our understanding open by the power of your Holy Spirit. These are truths that are spiritually discerned, so we need your spirit to help us, Lord. As Jesus taught us, apart from Christ, we can do nothing in these areas. So, Father, just pour upon us now. You have something to could be life-changing. You've gathered us together for a reason, Lord. Help that reason be accomplished as we yield to you. In Christ's name, amen. It's kind of nice to be able to fast forward through uh, a program when you want to speed it up for whatever reason, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning here because we're currently in Mark chapter 3. We study verse by verse, chapter by chapter here at The Rock. And so uh, Palm Sunday is upon us which happens at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry here. And so we're going to have to speed up because Palm Sunday means there's five days left uh, before he will lay down his life and and, uh, be found upon that cross bearing our sins. And then it's really a week out then, as it were, Sunday to Sunday, before glorious resurrection Sunday, the day that we call Easter. So for the holidays, even though we're in the gospel, we're going to fast forward from chapter 3 to chapter 11, where Mark is going to recount the last week of Jesus' life, which is called Passion Week. And that begins with what we call Palm Sunday or the Triumphant Entry, And both of those terms we'll take a look at uh, in our study time. So no worries about fast-forwarding. Sometimes you fast-forward and you're like, oh, man, I needed that part. But really, Mark, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has done such a phenomenal job of summarizing the life of Jesus in three chapters. You already get it because it's just going to be three years of pretty much the same. I'm thankful for all those chapters. Uh, But we already know, we get it. We know why he came, who he claimed to be. Last sermon, he tells everybody squarely, and, and I hope you caught it. He said, They had trouble with him working on the Sabbath and breaking their Sabbath rules. He heals a man on the Sabbath. They come unglued. And he says, oh, let me just tell you, the Son of Man, which is a designation for the Son of God, actually. And and he says, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. You see, he didn't say, I'm Lord of Saturday. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. 
He said, I'm Lord. He's claiming to be what he claims all through the Bible, to be one with God. So he, yeah, he's the son of God. We heard that. We get that. But he's not a son of God as the way we can be a son of God. He is the unique one and only begotten son, which really says he's God, the son, the second person of what we call a trinity, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. So we get who he is, why he came. He he said, boy, I came to give you some good news. If you just so much as have a change of heart, and his first word was repent, that's what that means, to do a U-turn. If you have a change of heart, you can be reconciled to God. Your sins can be washed away. You could live forever and be born again. So we get that, right? And the people are hanging on his every words. The, the crowd is loving on him, but there are some hostile opponents. And so we've already identified the religious leaders They have this outward religiosity. They're hypocrites. They've reduced relationship with God to some sort of do's and don'ts and empty, and nobody wants to hear them anymore. They all want to hear Jesus, which makes them even more mad. And so we see where it's headed. And so now we fast forward um, some three years and seven chapters to chapter 11, where now it is what we call Palm Sunday because it's the last week in Passion Week. Why Passion Week? Because this is something that Jesus came to do intentionally. He wasn't killed for his good work. Jesus' good work was to be killed as an offering for the sins of the world. And so we're going to see more of that when we dive in to Palm Sunday. So here's how we're going to do it. We're in chapter 11 now. We're at the last week. Here comes a parade down Mount Olives, and they're singing songs meant only for the Messiah. Let's read the passage, then we'll break it apart for our study. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany, two little villages at the top eastern side of Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. Just as you enter it, you're going to find a colt there. No one's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing that? Tell them, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back to you shortly. They went and found a colt outside the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, hmm, just as Jesus suggested, some people standing there said, what do you think you're doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and... When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes over it, he sat upon it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, Lord, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It continues, blessed is the coming king of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. That's where Mark stops the story and goes into Monday. But Luke keeps talking right at the same point. So right after Luke says they're singing Hosanna, then Luke says, 
Some of the Pharisees in the crowd didn't like all the singing. <laughs> Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus says, if they do keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And so, you know, what a kind of a paradox there. There's a lot of joy and celebration, but Jesus' heart is broken because they don't really get it. You have two crowds of people, one that adore him and one who hate him, and neither of them get the significance of what's going on. Now, the passage... Palm Sunday divides into three really easy ideas, and they'll serve as our talking points. Really, if you're taking notes, just three quick words. Uh, first, we see preparation. So preparation, verses 1 through 6. Uh, the donkey is more important in the details of what's going on there than you may realize. So preparation. The second point is adoration. Verses 7 through 10, you see the parade. The festivities, the celebration of praise and worship, they're singing psalms reserved for the Messiah. And thirdly, admonition. Admonition. So we end on kind of a warning, a dire warning from the Son of God to those who are rejecting him in the end, that it will not be good for them. And he cries because he cares about us. God, our Savior, wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so Jesus said on many occasions, I didn't come to condemn anybody. I came. The reason I'm here is to save people. You know, you see? But if you're not willing to be saved, then sadly, there are consequences. And that's all Jesus is saying here. If you shun the lifeguard and you're in a riptide, uh, it's not going to be good. And, and that's the heart of God there. And so let's take apart that preparation with the donkey and, and just uh, what's going on there. We'll pull this, the, the words apart here so that we can focus on them. So your text says that they approach Bethany. And Bethphage. Now, if you think of Bethany as Santa Rosa, then Bethphage would be something like Larkfield. It's a smaller little neighborhood of an already pretty small village, Bethany. So most scholars just leave out the Bethphage and just say it's Bethany. And guess who lives there? Mary and Martha, and they have a brother named Lazarus. And so that family lives there. And you will find in the Gospels that all through Passion Week, Jesus and the disciples go back down from the mount through the Kidron Valley, up Mount of Olives, right over, you will find Mary's house. And every night of the week, they're spent there. And then in the morning, they come back over 
the hill down. Now, I'm a visual guy. I like pictures. So here's an artist's rendering of ancient, the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. So before you see Jerusalem, if you're climbing, that's the way the bus takes. We go straight up the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. And an artist rendering has this. I really like it because it's unbelievably familiar. When you look at this, you're like, oh, our bus went up there. But I know it, it isn't, but it sort of seems that way because right over the, the top right there, you're going down the slope, the western slope of the Mount of Olives. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus live here. They hang out there. That's where the famous Mary and Martha story, that's where they're going to hold a banquet in Jesus' honor after Lazarus is, is raised from the dead. Now, if you go up here and get the view of Jerusalem now, you would be standing here and you'll be looking down here. So their house is over here, right? And now Jesus and followers uh, are depicted here, but that's a really good depiction. Now, the modern day view, if you're standing right here and looking, will be this. Same place. All right, so some things have changed. <laughs> There's the wall. Here's the eastern gate. Um, Zechariah says that Jesus will come through, the Messiah will come through this gate even though it has remained shut for centuries. You see that. And so, now, if you're up here, where you'll be if you come in 2018, and take a picture of where the picture's being taken from there, you will see Mount Olives that looks like this. So now they would be standing up here looking this way. Now you're at the temple. You're on the Temple Mount, right? So you're looking at the Mount of Olives, and so just situated, Bethany is right over the hill. So there's about a mile or two, all right? So uh, they're situated right over there. And so Palm Sunday is going to start with a crowd. John tells us that Palm Sunday starts Saturday, really, with a dinner given in honor of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So they're at the house right there on the beginning of Passover week where all the pilgrims are making their way. So it's very convenient with Lazarus in tow and all the crowds that came to see Lazarus. Now that, mo that next morning, after the beautiful celebration of, wow, Lazarus, what a miracle. It was Jesus' grand finale of raising a guy who'd been dead for four days, right? And so they're going to come down they're going to come down the, the hill somewhere around here. There are, there are streets. We go down this street. And so the Garden of Gethsemane are, is represented in these areas where olive trees are still growing, you see. And so now you sort of, you can leave that picture up just for a minute more. And then you can see what's going on there. And so the significance of the Mount of, uh, of Olives, I just want to say, there's such an ironic paradox going on here because Jesus calls it a triumphal entry in that the king, having been prophesied for 300 uh, prophecies over the span of 1,400 or more years, he is finally in a triumphal entry coming in as king 
to go to the cross that was prepared for him before the world was spinning. So in that sense, it's a triumphal entry. But notice he comes down on a donkey. So he comes down as a donkey because he's meek and mild. He's, it's the year of amnesty. There's been 2,000 years of amnesty. It's called the age of grace. So whosoever believes in him should never perish. Just come in. You don't have to do a thing to earn it. You can't. He earns it. Come and be saved. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. On a donkey. Get it? But the Old Testament says that the second coming will appear and he enters at the same place from the top of the same hill. The Mount of Olives is where after he deals with the battle of Armageddon, which isn't really a big battle because Jesus just appears and goes, what? (laughs) And it's pretty much done. And he appears to the Jewish people there on the Mount of Olives. There's a big earthquake. He will go down the Mount of Olives, not on a donkey, meek and mild, and let him guys pluck his beard out. And spit in his face. Oh, now he comes as not the servant king on a donkey, humble and gentle in heart. He comes as a conqueror, right? And he's given 2,000 years. Anybody who wants to be saved will be saved. And then the conqueror comes. But that's just amazing to me that it's the same hill, same place. Two different missions, two different comings, same location. And Hebrews chapter 9 nails it. Watch this. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sins, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And if you read prophecies of the second coming, it's lightning, it's thunder, it's the armies of heaven, it's loud, it's conquering king, you see. And so first time, the second time, right there on the same hill. And God doesn't want you to miss that. Now, let's talk about the donkey. All right, we'll go back to the the text here. Uh, There are two encouraging things about the details. Six verses. Why didn't he just say, uh, and he wanted a donkey, so he sent him ahead, go get a donkey and bring it back. That could have been the end of it, but six verses? Here's how, it's not just any donkey. It's this donkey. This is where you find it. It's tied here. It's a young donkey. It's never been ridden, by the way. Why all the details? And then when you get there, they may say, hey, what you doing with our donkey? You tell them, I need it. The Lord needs it. And I'll give it back to them. Right? And so why does it repeat again? When, when That would have been enough. But then it says, so they go out. They find them tied there. You know, now we get the double repetition of, and then they're saying, hey, what's up with taking our donkey? And it's like, oh, the Lord needs it. And so what's Jesus saying? Number one, he's saying, I'm in charge. This is my plan. This is God's orchestration. This isn't a plan of me going in to die for the sins of the world. Like, whoops, something went awry. Oh, the bad guys were just stronger. 
You know, Jesus was doing all these good things and big, mean, nasty, evil people came and dragged him off against his will and killed him. That's what the world thinks. Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. This has been in the mind of God before there was a solar system here. He said, I've got this. I see what's going to happen. I planned it out. I decided in eternity past to put myself in an earth suit and take the punishment that you incurred upon yourselves. The sin, the death, the shame, I'll put it on me. And that's why I had to be lonely, low, lonely, and lowly and gentle. Because he had to lay down his life and he had to be spit upon. He had to be shamed. He had to be flogged. He had to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's what we would have cried out. That's what we as sinners deserved. But God said in his love, I'll take it for you. I'll pour myself, I'll incarnate myself into one of your human wombs. And how he went about that. It's part of the story. And so he's saying, listen, this is about me. He, he tells him in Mark chapter 10, he says, look, about that Mark 10, 33 and on. Look, we're going up to Jerusalem. So the chapter before Palm Sunday, he's saying this to his disciples. Look, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of chief priests, the scribes. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. After three days, no worries, he will rise again. So, so, so my friends, <laughs> right from the jump, he's telling them, this is my mission. I'm getting on a donkey. I'm going down to do this. Nobody can take the life of the Son of God. I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. That is the mission. And why it's called triumphal entry is because from the Garden of Eden, when God the Father spoke to Lucifer, who just slayed us all by, by, by killing, as it were, Eve and Adam and us in them, he says to Lucifer, one day a seed of the woman of virgin will give birth and he will be your conqueror. From that promise, 4,000 years, you can trace a line, a godly line that goes all the way to Jesus' birth. You can read it in Luke chapter 3, the genealogy of the line of salvation. And why it's called a triumphal entry is because Jesus is saying, I made it. The seed of the woman the virgin-born Savior, though all Satan needed to do through that whole line is kill David or any of them in the line, just one, before they produce the heir that's in the line. Just one of those guys dies, he wins. The devil. So the triumphal entry is, I'm riding down the hill, I'm two miles out, here I am, I made it. Not through the week, but since the Garden of Eden, he enters as king to lay down his life for God's intended purpose to save the world. 
That's pretty awesome, and I need an amen. amen. Sometimes you just got to ask for it. There it is. <laughs> now, the second thing, I mean, uh, yeah, Pilate, here's what he's saying. Pilate, it's not up to you. Pilate says, don't you know who I am? I've got the power of death and life over you. And Jesus says, no, you don't. He says, you couldn't do anything unless heaven gave it to you. So he says, hey, listen, you're not in charge, Pilate. Judas, he commands Judas, get up, go from the table. It's time to do your deed. God is in charge. They've got free will. They want to use it that way. God's like, I'll put it to use. So he goes on. Now, the, the choice of the donkey, let's talk about this. The, a donkey in a mission of redemption. Why did he pick a donkey? Well, it's, the donkey, right away, when you start thinking Old Testament like a Jew, the donkey is unclean. So it, it doesn't chew the cud. So it's called an unclean beast. And if you know donkey metaphors in the Old Testament, it's often used to describe unbroken, stubborn, wild-natured human beings. And it's a picture of the sinful nature of man. Now, you've got this unclean, unbroken, did you notice, that has never been ridden, never been broken, you see? This unclean beast, known for its stubbornness. What, what did the angel of the Lord tell Hagar about her son, Ishmael? He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him in the violence of Ishmael. So Jesus says, let me saddle this beast on a ride down a hill and to a cross where I will make that which was once unbroken and wild and unclean and stubborn. I will break it and that which is unclean will be cleansed and clean. That which is resistant and stubborn to do God's will will be eager and longing and changed. And that which was a wild donkey of a nature that says it doesn't matter what God thinks. It doesn't matter that I'm married and said vows. It doesn't matter that I have kids depending on me because I want what I want and I'm not happy and I'm going to do this anyway. He's going to take that donkey and subdue it. And that donkey is riding it straight into the cross that is going to change the beast or make it able to be changed and renewed. So God doesn't miss a thing. God will just paint. I mean, there are, are millions of things we miss. And God, God's going to say when we see him and we sit around for, you know, we've got like a billion years, right? So he's going to say, hey, did you ever see the, the relationship between the donkey and human nature? We're going to go like, yeah, we saw that. Pastor Rosso. No. <laughs> no, he's going to say so many other things. Did you ever notice that this and that adds up to that? And we're going to go, oh, how did you do that? He just is one uh, giant multitasker. And so now we're off to a parade. We've got the point. 
Everything is perfectly timed, perfectly prepared, on schedule, and going as planned. That's our first point. The second point, the adoration of the crowd. So here's the scripture. So they bring that colt to Jesus and throw their clothes over and make a makeshift saddle. And then they give him the royal treatment and spread their coats and branches in front of the processional. And those who go before are pulling out the phrases that belong to Messiah and honoring uh, Christ that way. And so now it's holiday time. It's Passover week. Uh, Everything's coming together. And according to the text, uh, now they come down the hill, two miles down that hill. So there's no saddle. So the clothes make a great saddle. And notice the donkey obeys, but it's unbroken. But then again, Jesus created the donkey. So, you know, no worries there. <laughs> so the, don- the, the, the donkey's like, hey, for most people, you, you'd be bucked off by now, but since you're my owner and creator, you know, I'll go where you want me to go. Uh, so, you know, yeah, don't, uh, here. So others take their coats off, and this is cool. And, and we do this. We, we give the celebrities and the uh, dignitaries what we roll out the red carpet. We don't want their feet to touch any dirt, right? That's what you're saying. You're saying, well, for you, we just wanted you to be walking on something beautiful. And so guys are saying, hey, take my coat off. This is God's Messiah. And they're throwing their clothes on the ground. I mean, some people would say, let me throw myself in front of that. You know, let Jesus trample over me because that's how you feel. You just feel like, wow. God in a body coming to die for the sins of the world, if they would have put it together. He told them that. It just reminds me the night before, the night before, Mary of Mary and Martha took out a pint of nard, just speaking of these branches and the royal treatment and all of that, and the hosannas. She takes out a pint of nard. Nard is, you could only get it in India. So it was very expensive, kind of maybe her dowry. And, and, and she, you raised my brother from the dead. You set my heart free. You've offered eternal life. Whoever believes in me, you'll never die. She just goes and gets that and says, over Jesus' head and, and to his feet, and she wipes his feet the, with her hair. And the house is filled with a beautiful fragrance. And Judas is indignant. And he says, do you know how much that was worth? 300 denarii. 300 denarii is a year's wages. Let's just call it 50 grand. All right? So it was 50 grand. She came out under her mattress. She had $50,000. And she came and she took it and she gave it away. To her church for whatever. And Judas says, oh, all the good that could have done to poor people. And then I love that the Holy Spirit outs him, outs him good, and says, by the way, Judas didn't care about poor people, but he cared about what he could steal out of the offering bags. So he was like, whoa, man, 
I could have had a lot. I mean, the poor, <laughs> the poor could have had a real treat there. And so the idea here is, is the branches, the coats, we don't want him to even touch the dirt. And so they used to do that with King Solomon, was a lot of that kind of thing going on. And Jehu, King Jehu, they actually take the branches and the coats and do the same thing. So it was a Jewish royal treatment kind of thing, recognizing what? King. The king is here. Now, the Hosanna to the son of David, huge here. And, and it needs some explanation what's going on. Every Jew knew the Messiah was related by blood somehow, even though they knew he was divine. They couldn't figure this out. They knew he was divine. He's coming in the clouds. He looks like one of us. Let's call him a son of man, right? But he's, he's divine, and he's a man. And so they knew God made promises to King David. The Holy Spirit said on several occasions to King David, you from your own body, biologically related to you, will come a king who will rule forever. Not only rule Israel, but rule the world forever from your body. And King David comes out of that prayer time like that. He's saying, do you treat everybody like this, God? That's what he says. He says, wow, haven't you done enough for me? And then you say that somebody, a grandson of mine will somehow become the son of man. How does that work? Well, I mean, I mean, take a look at this. I'll tell you how it works. David has a son named Nathan, if we're talking about Mary. In Luke chapter 3, is Mary's genealogy. So Nathan has a son. That's David's grandson. And then he has a son, and then he has a great-grandson. You know how it works, right? Well, times 28 times 30, depending how you count, grandchildren, comes Mary. And then Mary's born. Whether Does Mary know she's the granddaughter of King David? I don't think they know. Records have been burned up. Temples have been destroyed. All of this. And so who shows up to Mary? The great-granddaughter times 28 to King David. Bam. Gabriel. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name God saves. The Lord is salvation. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's a little different than just like being a child of God. <laughs> and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So he's, grand, he's a great, times 28, grandson of King David. And he'll reign over the house of Israel forever. That's a long time. And of the kingdom, there will be no end. That dude's going to live long. How will this be? She says, I'm not doubting this is going to happen. I'm just confused because I'm a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will be upon you. God, the Spirit, will fill your womb, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One born of you will be called the Son of God. And so now we've got the dual nature of the Messiah. Now check this out. We already knew this in Isaiah. Isaiah. And he will be called. Isaiah says, heads up, chapter 7, a virgin is going to have a baby. We already knew. 
when that's in Matthew, Matthew's quoting Isaiah. A virgin's going to have a baby, and, and he's going to be called these things. In 9, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father. What did Jesus say? I and the Father are one. When you see me, you've seen the Father. Philip, how can you keep asking me? Show me Yahweh. Have I been with you so long? Still you don't recognize me? John chapter 14, verse 9. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He shall reign on David's throne. He's David's grandchild. (laughs) But he's mighty God. How does that happen? Mighty God gets a hold of Mary, overshadows her, and the radiance of God's glory, the exact, exact representation of God's being, pours into her womb and combines with a human egg. And it becomes a 100% human man, 100% God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, the fullness of God in a human body. That's who's coming down the hill. And that is why people are throwing their jackets and cutting off branches and throwing it down on the ground and saying, whoa, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace is here. Thank you. You can go back to the parade. Yeah, so... There was only one problem. I think that's the part we're on. Yes, only one problem. Is their praise is misguided because they're, they're wanting all the promises in the Old Testament that have to do with thunder and lightning and get rid of the Romans and rule the world and exalt Israel to her superpower status, which will happen when he returns. They wanted all of that, but they wanted to skip the part where he suffers and dies for the sins of the world. And you can't have the second without the first. And so that's what stumbles them. That's why they've got this idea that as soon as Jesus on day three or four, they start to figure it out. He's a turn the other cheek guy. What? As soon as he starts letting them kick him around, because that's part of the deal. He's the sin offering. Then the crowds go from Hosanna to crucify because they had created an image for themselves and God. And when God didn't live up to their misguided misunderstanding of who God was to them, as soon as God didn't jump the the hurdles and the hoops, then it was, I don't need you, I need to get rid of you. Caution. That happens all the time. There are false doctrines out there that God just exists to make you healthy, take away all your troubles, and make you rich. Right? And and I'll tell you what happens is when that doesn't happen, then you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You see, because you or whatever standard that you have got in your head for what God should be to you, right? If he doesn't come through and do it your way, then you get the whole uh, fickle worship thing. And then we find you out instead of going to church, you're doing some other thing. And when you ask you why, you say, you know, I've been burned, okay? 
I've got a lot of questions. I just need to take a break. Why? It's the problem's not God. It was your understanding of the kind of God He is. He's not our servant. We're his servants, and we do his will. He and the disciples were martyred, and we come around saying, hey, I want this, and I want that, and if you don't shape up, I'm walking. That's what happened with the crowds. Don't let it happen to you. Let's finish up with the PS here. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to the teacher, hey, teacher, don't you realize they're calling you the Lord? You need to stop. And Jesus said, no, they can't stop because if they stop, even the rocks would cry out, and I don't think you want to see that. And then he's going to give them a dire, sober warning, sadly. So not everybody's in the holiday festive mood. You know, some people don't want a savior. Some people don't. No, they get it. They tell me. I understand fully what you're saying. I just don't want anything to do with it. You know, some people don't want I'm happy with my life. I was born all right the first time. That's what they say. When I say, well, you need to be born again, I was cool the first time. You know, so I don't want it. You know, and sometimes I'll say, I mean, listen. Jesus tells a story about those who perish. And he says, it's like having a party. Wedding is, uh, heaven is like a wedding banquet. And the doors are shut. And then people who excluded themselves in life from the party start to pound on the door. And they say, let us into the wedding too. And Jesus goes to the door in the story and says, uh, go away, sir. We, I don't know you. Who are you? We've never met. The point is that I would add to that story. I would say, and by the way, you wouldn't like it in here. The only reason you're pounding on the door is because you're uncomfortable with the consequences of your poor choices to exclude God from your life. So, hey, let me out of here. I want to come into the party, but let me tell you who's in here. It's the God you couldn't stand. It's the Jesus uh, that you ran from your whole life and used a profanity with, right? You know, you know? it's Christians are in here by the dozens. <laughs> Hopefully more than by the dozens. They're the people you despised. And guess what's in there? It's, there's the Bible there's the disciples, there's Moses and Elijah, Noah. Oh, come on. They might be thinking on second thought. <laughs> on second thought, the only reason they want in is because they're in trouble. They don't want to be changed. And so here, we start to see some of that. So that <clears throat> the Pharisees say, okay, Correct, stop, rebuke them, silence your followers, because they're calling you Lord. And the Lord says, you know what? If they're quiet, the rocks, the trees, the birds, they'll start praising God. And in one sense, you know, there's a poetic thing in the Psalms about creation has been subjected to futility and decay. And that the earth is tired. And in Romans chapter 8, it says the earth is groaning waiting for the day of redemption that we as the sons and daughters of God are revealed and then the earth will be released 
from its bondage to the decay. It's tired of earthquakes and tsunamis and fires and hurricanes and tornadoes. It's tired of sinkholes and mudslides and floods and famine and drought. All of that is connected to when God said, in the day you walk away from me, you and everything around you will die a slow, painful death. But man, the rocks, the birds, the trees will clap their hands, the birds... The mountains will sing for joy. That's the idea there, that they're involved. The earth is involved as well. And so to Jesus' closing words, he says, man, listen up. If you only knew, here's a thing that makes Jesus cry. And now Jesus, God, we've got the tears of God here. Jesus, God crying. Why? Because people are missing out. He says, the truth is now going to be hidden because you've exhausted the patience of God. And now the truth is hidden from you. And who hid it from you? You hid it from you. Because with the word of God, you went like this. When it came, when the conscience was pinging, you went, I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. Turn up the radio. Turn up the radio. When Christian testimonies came to you, let's call it that. You dismissed it when Jesus did miracles, when you were moved. It was a lot of this. And then Jesus got right in front of you, and you went like that, and you went around. So he says, well, now, because of your rejecting continually, the truth is you can't get it anymore. And he says, there's consequences for that. And he's crying while he's singing because God wants everybody to come to repentance and be saved. He says, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, says the Lord. For God so loved the world. He, he cries, he's crying because you're missing it. And I can see what's going to happen because you didn't know God was standing here on this donkey here coming to save you. You didn't know what made for peace. The things that make for peace is who Christ is, receiving him, believing on him, being reconciled to God, having your sins washed away, enjoying God's love, having abundant life. These are the things that lead to peace and blessing and joy, and none of it is available outside the person and work of Christ. So if you keep sidestepping the truth of the gospel, you're only going to get destruction. And in this case, he prophesies, he sees ahead 40 years, AD 70, Romans come in under General Titus, and they take the place apart. A million people died. A million Jews died. And they took it. And if you go to Israel with us next year, you will see it left in the same condition. 2,000 years later, the rocks upon rocks, the rubble by the Romans. And Judaism never rose up again. Now, Judaism's out there. I don't see how. There's no temple. There's no sacrifices. There's no, there's no high priest. You can't have Judaism without a temple, without offerings, right? So it never rose up again. It was the end 
of everything. And Jesus is crying, saying, why? Why? You had the prophecies. You had the word of God. I did the miracles. I walked on the water. I raised the dead people. And I'm here. Why? It's a testimony of the sinfulness of man. But not everybody will take the wide path that leads to destruction. Few there are in this life who open their hearts and say, yes, the last thing I want you to see is, an, is something pretty amazing. Yes, he's talking to the Jews right there about ignoring the lifeguard. You ignore the lifeguard, you're in the riptide, you're in trouble. You don't like police officers, you're at gunpoint. You know, you could get killed because you don't want to call the cops because you don't like cops, right? Well, if you don't like God and you're in a world, a fallen world, where all kinds of things happen and you're going to die one day, but you don't like the Savior, then Jesus is just going to say, it's going to go bad for you. But he's talking to the Jews, but look what he's, he's, look what he's doing. You guys count the U's when I read, okay? Just count how many U's are in two verses. The days will come upon you. One. Okay, you say one. one. When your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You. (laughs) You're ahead of me. And the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, why not? Just just put the period there. Why is this you? And look at this here. Even you. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you what that means. The Holy Spirit is saying this is the word of God. We're not just talking to uh, first century Jewish people. We're talking about anybody because God visits every human soul. So he's saying you, even you. You, even you, you, even you, if you would recognize that God's coming, he comes alongside every human soul. He talks to every human soul through church services, through memorial services, through creation. Through creation, we can see the eternal attributes and power of God, the eternal nature of God through creation alone. He says, we have no excuse to know there's a God. Just uh, Who was it? It was um, Leonardo da Vinci who said, the thumb, the thumb says there's a God. Just looking at the hand and going, whoa, that thumb design. Whoa, there's a God. I mean, all of these things have testified to say, hey, don't turn when God visits you and answers a prayer, does a miracle. He's got the gospel in your face. You hear a testimony. Stop resisting God and recognize the day visits so that you could have peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you do care about us. You weep at the thought of anybody missing out on, on such a wonderful blessing of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, resurrection, the life everlasting. 
Lord, you, uh, nobody will ever blame you for not trying and not wanting us to be saved, Lord. And if we miss it and things are hidden from our eyes, it's because we never wanted to see them. But God, in this room, there are many who love you and have opened our hearts to the things that make for peace, and that's knowing Jesus as our Lord. So we thank you, Father God, for the joy of being rescued, the joy of having a peace that the world cannot give us, and nor can it ever take it away. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the gospel is a rescue story. It's as if a big ship is going down, taking on water. The Lord comes alongside a real sturdy vessel, the good ship salvation, as it's hop on board. And all who hop on are saved. That's as easy as it is. All who believe, call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. The horror of perishing, the horror of it, is how easy it was. It wasn't like you got to climb some mountain or fast 100 days or be really, really good for like a whole year. No, 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 no. You can't do any of that. I'll do it all for you all. I'm saying everything for nothing. What do you think? <laughs> how many of you are saying, that sounds good to me? <laughs> yeah. Now, how many of you, heads bowed, eyes closed, you need to get on the lifeboat. God has visited you. It's your day of visitation one more time. It's not the first time he's been calling. And hopefully it's the last time. If you're here, you hear the Lord. He's visiting you with the things that would make for peace. And he's saying, don't miss out. How about today? You hop on board. If that's you. You want to become a Christian. You slip your hand up nice and high. And I'll see that. We'll, we'll say a prayer together. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's a good move, sir. Anybody else want to get on board before there's too much water and before you miss the time when it's too late to retrieve? That would be called death. All right, let's say the sinner's prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I need to be saved. I can't do it myself. I need a Lord. Today I submit to Christ and make him my master. Wash me clean of my sins and set me on a safe place. I dedicate myself to you and receive Jesus as Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us to take this message out while we still have a window of opportunity for people to get on board and be saved, Lord. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.